Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Encero, and I'm the senior editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. CMS recently convened a public meeting of its Medicare Evidence Development and Coverage Advisory Committee, known as MedCAC, to discuss the use of patient-reported outcome tools. This discussion took place in the context of what decisions CMS will be making as it decides how to cover chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapies for Medicare beneficiaries with advanced leukemias and lymphomas. These therapies, known as CAR-T therapies, have offered new hope to patients with certain types of cancers with a very poor prognosis. The sticking point, however, is the price. Of the two FDA-approved therapies, Yescarta and Kimraya, carry price tags of $373,000 to $475,000 for a one-time treatment, not including other costs that may arise. For public payers like Medicare, not to mention Medicaid, how to pay for these potentially curable treatments is a question policymakers are grappling with. We spoke to Doug Olson, a survivor of chronic lymphocytic leukemia, who participated in the first CAR-T clinical trial and who shared his opinions as a patient representative at the MedCAC meeting in 2018. Welcome, Doug. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are as well as your background? Uh, sure. My, <clears throat> my name is Doug Olson. Um, I'm 71 years old. I was diagnosed with CLL when I was 49. Um, I participated in the uh, first CAR-18 trial at Penn in, in uh, 2010. I've been cancer-free for, <clears throat> excuse me, eight years this, uh, actually this month is an anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Well, thank you. Um, I have a PhD in medicinal chemistry, and most of my career I've been in the medical device field, um, specifically in uh, developing blood testing instrumentation and, uh, and systems. And currently, I am CEO of a small startup in New Hampshire. So the anniversary of becoming cancer-free came during Blood Cancer Awareness Month? Isn't that interesting? My um, first infusion was um, September 13th, um, 2010. That uh, That was the beginning of the end. How did you come to be an invited guest on the MedCAC panel? Well, I've been involved with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society for a number of years in the Eastern Pennsylvania chapter, actually. Um, I just retired as a board member. And um, apparently CMS had contacted LLS for, uh, for potential patient uh, members of the board. And that's how I got connected. Your visit there that day, was that just a special one-time appearance? That, that's correct. I'm, I was an invited guest. During the trial at Penn, were patient-reported outcome tools part of the trial? No, it was not. There were there were certainly plenty of uh, a lot of uh, follow-up visits after after the uh, after the initial treatment. Um, that's pretty much how they got their feedback. If you were in a trial now, do you think patient-reported outcome tools would have changed anything for you as a patient? You know, you know, I don't. Um, what, what I what it what it can do, and I think I mentioned this at the meeting, is provide information to patients who are about to go um, through the treatment 
Uh, and the way you're going to get that is, of course, from the patient experience. The trial that I entered into, there were two patients that um, were treated ahead of me by a matter of weeks. The principal investigator, Dr. Porter, my my uh, my oncologist, could share with me what what they had experienced. So so clearly, if if this were a bigger trial or or and and you're you're not the first in uh, having the patient's experience presented to you as uh, when you're making a decision to get into the trial or not. And and when you're in the trial, um, it was really helpful to me personally to know that I was experiencing something normal, that, that you're not being surprised by what's happening. So So having that information available to trial patients is, is certainly useful. But as far as me filling out one of those those reports, it wouldn't have changed anything. You stated, as did others at the MedCAC meeting, that you would not want to see patient-reported outcome tools being used to deter access for CAR-T therapy. And CMS at the moment is not saying how they will use your advisory vote. You were all asked five multi-part questions and to rate them on a scale. Do you have any thoughts about this as we're in an era where terms like financial toxicity didn't even exist a decade ago and payers and providers are increasingly being asked to move to value-based care? Yeah, that's um, um, that's a complicated question. It, 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 frankly, the, the questions we were asked to vote on were pretty tangential to the whole issue of, of cost and, and who's, who's going to be paying for what. You know, you mentioned this, this term talk, uh, financial toxicity, um, which is raised by virtue of the fact that that the two approved treatments right now, are, they're, they're referred to as drugs, obviously, um, or the FDA wouldn't be involved. Um, both uh, are in the neighborhood of between $375,000 and $450,000, which, which is a sticker shock to a lot of folks. So, so it wasn't clear to me what our um, panel's responses to patient-reported outcomes, how that actually connected to the issue of cost. And, and I, I looked at, all, all my answers were in reference to specifically CAR-T therapy. That was the, certainly what, what we were instructed to look at these questions in the, in the context of CAR-T therapy. My concern and others' concern about putting in some sort of a mandatory requirement that there is what could be a, a, a complicated and formal structure to get a patient reported outcomes connected to the the um, initiation of a clinical trial. The concern would be that that it'll end up being overly burdensome to the institution to, in fact, uh, initiate these clinical trials and, and just another. Another barrier to to uh, getting things, getting these clinical trials started. It doesn't have to be. Uh, it's an express. It was um, a concern expressed. You know, does does the patient report our outcome procedure or or uh, process? Does that add enough value to you know add another three or four or six months of time to get a clinical trial put in place? I, I would question that. But as I said earlier, certainly, you know, having the patient's response to the therapy is 
clearly important. So it was, it was, it's really more of a, an expressed concern or, you know, make sure as you make decisions on how you're going to, how to um, require some of these things that, that it's not overly burdensome for, for the clinical trial. With regard to cost, which, which really wasn't part of that panel discussion, I've been in other discussions dealing with cost. You know, the thing the patient's concerned about is, is you know, going into a clinical trial is, so what am I going to experience? Am I going to get sick? What are the side effects going to be? Do I have a good chance of getting rid of my cancer? Is the cancer gone? Is it going to come back? Am I going to be able to go back to my normal life? Which I think is, is probably one of the more important questions that a patient wants to know. You know, we throw around the, the term quality of life. It truly is important. Uh, it was one of the first questions I asked. You know, when will I be able, to, when I was considering a bone marrow transplant, I so asked the question, well, when, when can I go back to work? And I was told that you're not going to feel like going back to work for, you know, six months. And, and in particular with CAR-T therapy, um, my experience obviously was very good. And I think, uh, again, as we're early in, in the, into having CAR-T therapy available for patients on a commercial basis, which makes it more widely available since you don't have to be in a clinical trial, uh, we're certainly going to gather more and more data about what, what long-term effects are in patients. But I think, by and large, if you were to pull patients, you would find that the, the side effects are short, short-lived. There's certainly toxicities going through the, the treatment, but coming out the other side, you're in pretty good shape as opposed to um, chemotherapy, which is, is uh, you know, leaves the patient in some cases permanently uh, damaged at some point. So these things have to be factored into the cost of the treatment. And certainly, I guess, patient-reported outcomes is, is important in looking at what the quality of the life of that patient is going to be after um, a particular treatment, in this case, CAR-T therapy, where, where you're not beating the patient up so badly. Um, it's a very specific targeted therapy. I think knowing how the patient ends up uh, coming out the other side of it in terms of quality of life, but productivity. Do they get back into into normal society? Can they go back to work and be productive? Can they can they manage a family? Those those are all things that I think are are critically important to to consider as you you look at the cost of, of, of therapy. You mentioned that you were told you would not be going back to work for at least six months if you had received a bone marrow transplant. How soon were you back at work after the CAR T infusion? Next week. Really? Yep. Wow. Do you need further care? What, what I get are immunoglobulin, um, human immunoglobulin, IVIG uh, is, is its nickname, uh, infusions every two, three, four months, depending on the time of year and its protection against uh, infections. Um, I don't. I, I make B cells, but the B cells are, are destroyed by my CAR-19 cells. It literally is just like an immunization. I'm, I'm protected against B cells, whether they're normal or whether they're cancerous. 
Do you think payers should be brought into the process earlier when these new innovative therapies are being discussed and no one is quite sure how they are going to be paid for? Uh, for sure. Absolutely. And I've, I've done some research, actually. Um, I, I've, I've had the privilege of being asked to give, give talks on, on, on this sort of thing from a, from a patient's perspective. And so I've, I've done some, some research on this and talking to uh, folks at Kite and, and the physicians, some of the physicians who, who treat ALL with, with CART-19 and their experience in dealing with third-party payers. Sadly, you know, Medicare comes up short in terms of having been ready to deal with this. The third-party payers, both both companies, both Novartis and uh, Kite, did get, uh, as I understand it, to get involved with talking to third-party payers fairly early on. But the, these are the commercial uh, interests. There are certain rules and, and regulations that CMS has to go by that, I guess, prevented them from from doing too much about this, but you know they're a year behind. Is there anything else about this issue that you want doctors and payers to know about, and even organizations that help people who come to them after they've been diagnosed? You know, I, I think I think the the drum I beat most loudly. You know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of patients have been treated after we've treated thousands and thousands. We'll know better how patients tolerate CAR-T therapy, but I, th I think the overwhelming experience right now is that if, if it works, and it, and it doesn't work with everyone, that they, they get, come through the treatment mostly undamaged, as opposed to chemotherapy, which is it's not free at all with regard to the effects on the rest of your body. It keeps you alive, but at the same time, it's, it's causing damage. And I think it's really, really important for this to be factored into looking at the cost of this therapy versus, versus standard therapy and, and what the outcome to the patient truly is. Factor to put in the equation of, of, of uh, consideration of, of paying for this for this type of treatment, which is, it's a big number up front, but look at the payback when, when patients can come out the other side and be, be healthy and productive uh, in society. And what is your life like now? Basically, I'm, I'm very healthy. I just ran my sixth half marathon in, in January. I, I haven't retired. I, I love working and, and, uh, and still do. Obviously, I had a huge impact uh, on my life. That's fabulous. What happened once? Once, um, once Dr. Porter told me that I was cancer-free, I, I decided that it would be a shame if I died of a heart attack or something else, and I needed to get really healthy. So <laughs> I'd never been a long-distance runner before, and my, my middle son, John, was into it. I decided I would start, start running. And I did a 5K in, I think, 2011, and then uh, my first half, I ran with my son, and it, uh, it was a Disney Disney event in January. It was a hoot. And I got hooked. Still, I still make sure that I, I uh, try to run uh, maybe three times a week. I, I feel an obligation to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I could see that. 
I really want to thank you for speaking with me about this topic. Well, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. CMS will make a decision on the Patient Reported Outcome Tools issue in 2019. We wish Doug the best of luck in the future for continued good health. To learn more about the MedCAC meeting and to keep up with CMS's next steps, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.